Hey, it's Take That With You. It's our end of season recap and summer preview, and we thought we'd bring in some big guns. As you know, that is Followell. I'm Damaris. We are welcomed here by Mike Marshall. You know him as uh, the doer of all things Mavs content. And Bobby Corrala is going to join us as well, the digital content manager for the Mavs. We thought we'd do a little roundtable uh, for our final big blowout of the season and looking ahead. There's <laughs> Bobby. He brought me my coffee. <laughs> He's going back to his dungeon where we are forcing mm-hmm. him to do the broadcast from down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, gentlemen. He's getting his own coffee right now. Yeah. A lot of emotions over the last few days. We thought we'd take a few days, a weekend, to kind of catch our breath before we got back here with the MFFLs and and looked at what happened and look at what's going to go forward. Um, When I look back at the last 11 months and how far this team has come, Followell, you and I have talked about it since August, Mm -hmm. since the press conference in Ljubljana where Luca signed his Supermax extension, which we're all thrilled about. And he was asked about, after all the dysfunction that we heard about for two months around this franchise, from the front office to all the coaching staff, everything that happened, he said two words over and over again, which were the keys to winning, chemistry and trust. Mm -hmm. And I think we can firmly say, after listening to the post-game comments after Game 5, of accountability and trust, which is chemistry and trust, um... Accountability and chemistry, excuse me, which is a trust in chemistry. Uh, that that big picture goal of what you wanted to accomplish in this year has absolutely been knocked out of the park. And now you have a foundation set to even build further on. So when I look back, yes, I was disappointed, obviously, because once you get this far, you, you want to keep winning. You're one of the top four teams and you have an opportunity to, to do something special. But as I really reflected on things and looked at what we've built over these last 11 months and where this team is and where your superstar is and what you can build around him, you really are excited and hopeful. And a lot of the heavy lifting that we worried about having to do 11 months ago, that part's been built and now it's on to the next challenge. I mean, you use two words in there, build and foundation. And those are two things that I think are very, very reflective of this year. Uh, you know, doesn't mean that you can't be disappointed about getting that close, but it really ended up kind of being the best of both worlds because you got great playoff experience against uh, very good teams, Utah and Phoenix, and then you got to Golden State and you got a good lesson on, you got to play in, in high-level games and you also got a good lesson on what separates that level, which is a high level, from the highest level, which is actually playing for a championship as the Warriors are going to be doing later on this week. Yeah, I think I've said this a million times over the last couple of years since Luca's been here and the expectations have slowly just crept up. Enjoy the climb. Enjoy the years in which it's not championship or bust. Yeah. Enjoy the years when the foundation and the building is happening because you got taught a pretty hard lesson in the Golden State series, which maybe that was the only team in the West that could have tangled with us at that exact moment, mm-hmm. but they did it and they taught you how to play hard for 48 minutes to trust your system and just be better conditioned than we were. Honestly, if I felt like that was their edge is they'd been doing that thing for 10 years and they did it faster and harder than we were doing our thing. And next year, maybe you come into the season, you say, okay, I'm not going to take a month to get into shape. I'm not going to, 
you know, uh, go station to station offensively. I need some plays that can go quick and play hard. Mm -hmm. And that's not a critique anybody. It's just whenever you get up into a series like that against a team that's been there, what, this is going to be their sixth finals? Six finals in the last eight years. They're the first team to do that since the Bulls went to six out of eight and then 91 to 98 time frame. It's a little bit different game. Yeah. Against Phoenix, I don't feel like it was. I felt like that was right in our bag. Utah, same thing. Those Both those teams obviously had major issues uh, across the board, but we get to Golden State, it's pros, pros. It's the best in the world. They've been doing it for 10 years, five finals previous to this one, and they you you have to learn from that. You have to. Don't don't be a slave to recency bias and say, like, I got to build a team to beat the Warriors necessarily, mm-hmm. but you got to take some lessons from that and that maybe don't don't even have to play them <laughs> if you yeah. if you take the regular season uh, a little bit more not seriously but if you if you win the games you should have in the regular season i liked real quick one thing before brian's next point one thing you said i liked was enjoy the climb i believe that's one of the first chapters of pat riley's book from <laughs> many many years ago the winner within mm-hmm. the innocent climb mm-hmm. you know that's and and building a winning organization from a basketball team standpoint that's where you are right now is the innocent yep. climb when everything's so much fun and you're excited and enthusiastic and uh, there's almost like, you know, I, I, I'm not sure naivete is the right word, but there is that innocence mm-hmm. about your first chance to really make a deep playoff run and how everyone embraces it and how everyone's enthusiastic about it. Not just team, but as we saw, obviously, with the whole uh, sports scene in the city of Dallas. I mean, when everything ended on Thursday, it was like, man, what a great ride. Thank you. You know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. These are the good old days. I always like mm-hmm. to say that because it's true. We, we mm-hmm. In the moment, we we sometimes don't step back and reflect about this is the fun part of this journey. And and th- look what I have here, right here on my paper. Dirk's playoff progressions. This was yeah. given to me by a Bally Sports producer because I, I, you know, we wanted to kind of go through this right after the game. But this feels to me more like 2003 than it does 2012 mm-hmm. and, and the beginning of something. And when you look at what Dirk did, obviously he won his first playoff series against Utah, but then lost right. in the semis. Lost in the semis the very next year against... Sacramento. Yep. Then that West Finals. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we are. He got hurt. Mm-hmm. They played a very good San Antonio team that went on to win the championship. Um, realizing that, you know, if he had played, maybe that's a different outcome, but he didn't. They lost the series uh, in six. Steve Kerr, of course, instrumental in that game as he yeah. was instrumental mm-hmm. here on the sidelines. It's crazy, isn't it? I'm actually writing an article next week for D Magazine on kind of comparing that 2003 team and this team and and what are those lessons that you can learn, like you were talking about, to take with you building around a unique superstar and and the scars that you need because what happened three years later, this team made the finals. Mm -hmm. But they made some mistakes along the way. They let Nash go. They shouldn't have, Mm -hmm. knowing that now, in retrospect, you needed a player like that to get the ball to Dirk when he needed it. Same question is going to be asked now. What are the right players to build around Luca? Do you let Brunson go, or is he a unique talent that fits with Luca so well that you need to keep that? And mm-hmm. I think Mark has already yeah. indicated that he's learned his lesson that <laughs> you have a player that can play make, that can score when he needs to, but understands he can play without the ball. And let's not let that go mm-hmm. because we want to maybe see what's on the other end of that rainbow. So. There are some parallels there. You said uh, you brought up the 2003 comparison, and the one cool thing about it to me is that, and I don't want to like rehash old history and stuff like that, but the 2003 
conference finals obviously was the beginning of the end of one particular thing, and that was you know Nelly's time here mm-hmm. because of how things kind of went south. And the cool thing is, is this is all just uh, to use a Winston Churchill phrase, the end of the beginning. You know, it's it's there's no. Um, negative thing you know coming out like that you know the 2003 all of your points are exactly right there is that one thing though that was kind of a looming dark cloud over what happened in 2003 and there's nothing like that here so that's even i think that makes this even better in in one regard is that it's just it's all i mean you know sunshine and daffodils at this (laughs) point for lack of a better term and people keep saying uh you know oh there's no guarantee uh they're gonna get back to west Carolina. Conference finals. We, we know that. Yeah, there is. You're not breaking news to us if you're no. a reporter saying that. Like it's a, it's just such a lazy, dumb take. Like mm-hmm. I just went through the, you know, semis. Now after the Western Conference Finals, what happened the next year for Dirt? Lost in the first round of Sacramento. Yeah. In in four games. Yeah. Or five games. Five games. Me. Four one. Yeah. Uh, Bibby outplayed Nash, and you thought, okay, we're going backwards. That was the three four lineups. You know, the, the thirty four lineups with Jameson and Walker and. Uh-huh. And you had to find the right pieces to put around it. So it's not a linear progression. But again, as I always say, look at the trend lines, not the headlines. And, and if you're trending in the right direction, as you're saying, the beginning of something, mm-hmm. it's going to be fits and starts. You're, gonna, you're, you're going to move in the right direction. But I think we're all confident in Nico Harrison being in place. He's already made his first big move. He's going to have his first draft coming up. Mm-hmm. We know he knows his acumen from his Nike days of scouting people one through 60 and knowing the landscape both domestically and internationally. And Jay Kidd has shown what he brings to the table. I think that there was uh, skepticism externally. I know you and I, Mark, were, were pro on this move, and we talked about it on our podcast often when it, when it was made 11 months ago. But... Uh, there was external skepticism because he had run through two teams. Mm-hmm. And, and I wrote about in D Magazine that that's okay for the people to think that way, mm-hmm. but here's why I, I believed in it. And he's even exceeded what I thought he could do because when you really look at what he brought, he brought this defensive mentality. He did that in Milwaukee his first year. And he learned from that experience and played a different style here. He took essentially the same players and made them the seventh best defense in the league and won them a lot of games when their shot wasn't falling. And I think the other real thing he did was was – allowing people to understand their roles, know what they are, embrace them, and give them the tools to execute them well. And when you brought in a new player like Spencer Dimwitty, you were able to integrate them pretty seamlessly. So now other players this summer, when they're looking at it, are going, okay, that's a place I can roll in, and the coaching staff's going to have my back, and I'm going to fit in really well. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking, Mike? What's unique to that right there, that list that Dirk went through mm-hmm. of – climb the hill, fall off, climb the mountain, fall further, is that there's longevity to it in the same place. So you can try different things, right? So I'm thinking to myself, like, what version of Luca is this that we just saw that we've tried, that we rolled out? First year is obviously, like, here's a bunch of veterans and Dennis Smith Jr. And, like, okay, that's gone, right? Yeah. So do you consider, you know, bubble year, like, 2.0 once KP starts playing well, and then this is maybe 3.0 Luca, But you're going to have that time. Mm-hmm to figure it out. Yeah. And that's what most fans can't wrap their, like the, they're not going to get back to the Western Conference Finals. That thing is because most fans are on this expiring four-year timeline of what a team looks like. Max four years, mm-hmm. because that's like how long LeBron pl- stays places, right? <laughs> and that's how long like most players stay places now. 
is if it's not happening in the next four years, it's not going to happen because they're going to say bye, and I'm going to Paul George out of here to mm-hmm. the next one, right? And let's be honest, everybody has a I want what I want right now yeah. mentality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's it's all about, it's it's this very like craven sense of NBA fandom where it's all about transactions and did you win the title or not? And mm-hmm. if you didn't like, you know, I don't know, maybe half the NBA intelligentsia doesn't care about you and they don't realize, oh, we took a huge step this year. And we actually found a way to build around Luca that wasn't the most obvious, like, put two or three stars in the same locker room. It's elite role players across the board. And now, do we do, get more of those? Do we upgrade the starting lineup? There's some decisions to be made, mm-hmm. but I do trust that they're going to, whatever Luca in the Mavs 4.0 is after this offseason, I think it's going to be right on par of expectations of Western Conference Finals again. Yeah, you know, uh, Brian brought up a very interesting point, and that is that uh, people are pointing out, hey, there's no guarantee you'll get back to the Western Conference Finals. And that's exactly right. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, the last team, you know, obviously Golden State and Cleveland were going to a lot of Conference Finals year after year after year because they were going to NBA Finals year after year after year. Uh, But the last team to lose the Conference Finals and then get back to the Conference Finals again next year was Boston. Boston lost to Cleveland in 2017 and then got back and lost against them as well in 2018. So that does happen. Uh, Indiana lost in 2013, got back to the conference finals and lost again to Miami in 2014. Uh, it happened with San Antonio. Uh, they lost to conference finals to OKC and then went to the finals two straight years after that. Uh, OKC lost to the Mavericks in 2011 and then obviously got back to the conference finals and the subsequent NBA finals because they were in the NBA finals in 2012. So it happens. But yeah, you, you do, um, you know, you don't always have the linear growth pattern, you know, mm-hmm. to, to Brian's point earlier. Um, you know, that's what next year is all to figure out. And it's not like Madden ratings progression in your career, right? You don't get like two yeah. percent better each year and yeah. like show so, up and so, like sometimes I think that I think that we did think that used to be the case. Yeah. Um and, and I think there is something to that. And sometimes it is easy to apply some of the older stair step logic to the way things are now because that kind of did happen with uh, you know, uh Jordan's teams. You know, it took a while to kind of get past Detroit, and it took a you know it took a bit to get past Boston, and then get past Detroit, and then get to the NBA Finals. So uh, that does happen, but I think we're kind of in a different world now with player movement and then that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that you know the the other thing that Jay Kidd brought to the table was uh, a sense of belief, mm-hmm. and and he kept saying that word believe. You know, the old you know Ted Lasley, you you guys have <laughs> it up here in Studio Forty One, right above the door. Uh, and and he credits uh, Frank Vogel for a lot of his development as a coach, learning how to deal with players, not being a control freak, having that serenity, but also instilling belief in the play in his players. And this team now believes that they belong with mm-hmm. these these this level of players. They're they're not like oh well if we play a perfect game maybe we can hopefully get to the second round or gosh, we're lucky to be here. I think there is a belief that if we play our game mm-hmm. and we set the tone, uh, that we can we can do this. And I think a lot of what you heard Mark Cuban say is what he learned out of this team this year was we found an identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used the words um, hard-playing, physical, multi-talented, and able to complement Luca. Now, those aren't words that you would have used in years past. I remember Brian Windhorst very specifically saying on ESPN that it's a it's an open secret that you know you can come into Dallas and push this team around. Mm-hmm. You can't do that anymore. Right. 
this team showed resiliency. They could have laid down in game four. They didn't. Uh, at 2-0 down Phoenix. You know, 3-2 down Phoenix, yeah. Getting mm-hmm. Luka hurt for the first couple of games in the, in the, the Utah series, yeah. all, first three games, all of that um, showed me that, A, they believe they belong, and, B, they've developed an identity in her coach kid that will serve them well going forward. Yeah, and I think that's the thing I take away from the Warriors series is they're a little bit further down the road in their identity, and they do things faster, and they do it even harder than we do uh, in our system offensively and defensively. And so seeing Big Brother, which is Golden State, five, ten years further down the road in what they're comfortable, and they're so comfortable in themselves, just being themselves, that it's like they can run their sets with their eyes closed. They play defense until exhaustion. Um, That's the stuff that once you have this identity and it's a successful one that can get you to the Final Four, either consistently or, you know, every other year, or, you know, you have some playoff success, that's what makes you a great long-term, you know, I'm not going to say dynasty yet, but successful in the league where you can challenge for conference finals every single year. And I think it was awesome playing the Warriors. Like, I thought watching their Memphis series, I was like, something's not right here. Like, they're a little bit off, but yeah, they just It's hard not to think that when somebody loses by 39. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) When they had a chance to close out the series. Yeah, when you're down by 50 at one point, you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? So I thought something was wrong with them, but they showed you when it matters, when it Mm -hmm. turns into my chance to get to maybe one of our last one or two finals, I can play that hard. Mm -hmm. I can play that sharp. And those runs that they had within those games... We do that at times. Like, we'll have, like, a nice third quarter. Like, that's our thing, right? We did that a lot this year. We'd come mm-hmm. out and we just, like, game's over because of the third quarter. Man, they just would not stop. Like, I've seen Warriors games and I watched all their, you know, their Cavs finals and things like that. It was just, like, it wasn't a 12-4 to four run. Mm-hmm. It's, like, a 21-7 to seven run. And then they do it again and they do it again. And you're just, like... This doesn't stop. And I know blowouts are kind of the theme of this this postseason, but I don't know. They they affect the game in an emotional, physical way that I think we need to learn how to do that. Yeah, it's hard to – it feels like it's hard, even though it happened in, like, the third quarter. I think there was a 14 nothing Dallas run. It mm-hmm. does feel like it's hard to sustain runs yep. against them because they're so good offensively. You're not going to be able to string together multiple possessions. Mm-hmm. I mean, long stretches of multiple possessions of stops. And they're so good defensively that they're also not just going to capitulate on that end of the floor mm-hmm. and let you score and score and score and score again. You know, yeah. that they're going to dig in and be able to get a stop. Yeah. I think what, what, you, what was really important about what you said was this whole, it, and it relates to this Luca 4.0, which you're talking about, mm-hmm. is we've only seen less than half a season of this version of the Mavs. Right. Mm-hmm. So... It, that only gets better. They they just literally in two or three months kind of started developing what is this version of this team without Kristaps that while as much as we want it to work just didn't work fit wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I think what they've learned by playing a team like Golden State that does do this in their sleep mm-hmm. is okay. What do we need now to put around him? to supercharge this version, because this now is the version we want to run with. Mm-hmm. We tried that. It didn't work. We tried putting him in the post. It didn't work with Kristaps. Okay, it's Luca with playmakers, 3 and D guys. We know we want some more beef in the middle for some rebounding. Mm-hmm. 
how can we maximize that version? And we're just at the beginning stages of that. And I think that that's what's really exciting about this. When you look at Golden State as a model, you say, okay, what do they do really well? Well, they have their big three, and then they surround them like with an Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins is the guy that is overlooked, underachiever, you know, waste of a talent. Mm-hmm. Got traded for D'Angelo Russell, and and Minnesota threw in a pick, right? But if he's your fourth best option, yeah. he's great to have. He's a luxury. Mm-hmm. Then you find a guy like Jordan Poole deep in the first round, and you say, listen, I just want you to score when you can. We'll cover you on defense. Mm-hmm. That works, and so I think when you look and at the don't depth, forget Looney, don't forget Looney and all that too, man. Yeah. He's sure. so underrated in terms of how he plays off the space right. that those guys create because of the mm-hmm. attention that they draw. And then you got to like Otto Porter, they you know, off the scrap heap, right? Let, mm-hmm. Let's let's put a guy like that. So th- that's where the depth came into play, right. and we need to, you know, that's going to be Nico's job mm-hmm. this summer and next summers, find those players that can play valuable minutes so you're not just stuck trusting only six players yep. down the stretch. So I think two things. One is this whole idea of we're just now beginning this phase of the Lucas-centric team. How can we maximize that without wearing them out mm-hmm. and finding some depth? Yeah, and so, and so the key part of that is continuing to acquire players that complement him to you know maximize uh, – Players who are the best complement to Luke is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, as you said, you know, and look, we've seen, and by the way, you know, uh, the, the thing that's really good about all of this is Mark was on the ticket. Uh, and again, I always remind everybody here that's, that's not in town listening. The ticket is a sports radio station here in <laughs> Dallas that all three of us have worked at at some point in time and still do dabble in a little bit. Uh, Mark was on there last Friday after the series against the Warriors ended on Thursday night. He got back in from San Francisco and immediately jumped on with the afternoon show and said, we had a great run, we got a great experience, and we also realized that we have to get better. You know, that this is not just, oh, you know, run it back in its exact precise form. We have to get better. Mm-hmm. So, and that, and, you know, he used a lot of what Brian is talking about. Players that compliment Luca, and then to that point about depth, clearly, you know, Wing depth, three and D wing depth's got to be better because you don't want to be in a position next playoffs where, I mean, love how hard they play and love what they do, but it's not best for the team's success to put Bullock and Finney Smith in a position where they have to be out there covering more distance than anybody else in the league through that round of the playoffs. You know, having yep. running 46 miles of of uh, you know ground that they covered in the first three series. Um, you know, so bolster the wing depth so those guys aren't playing 44, 45, 46 minutes on some nights. Uh, bolster the big man depth so you have more than two bigs and you can you can play a roller and a finisher around the rim, a mm-hmm. pick and roll threat, or you can continue to play five out successfully, which obviously, to Brian's point a minute ago, is all kind of part of this version that you want to play now moving forward. The, the 4.0 version of Luka is that, hey, man, five out is really successful when you've got two or three playmakers and then one or two wings or one wing and hybrid big who can help mm-hmm. you play five out. Yeah, the crazy thing, whenever you were talking about Golden State a second ago, just as a side note, is they have, what, three lottery picks that don't even crack the rotation most nights? Yeah, what, Kaminga? Kaminga, Wiseman, and, 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 and Moody. Moody. Yeah, yeah, Wiseman was hurt all year. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it we'll never have the opportunity like they did where the cap exploded and, you know, all that stuff, all that, um, that history that goes into it. But mm-hmm. I think the lessons you can kind of take away is, like, Stamp in the things you can. Dorian's here long term. Luca's obviously here long term. Hopefully Jalen's here right. long term. And then you build around that core, right? You which big is the perfect big for this moving forward to start games, right? I think you've got the elite role players. 
but you need you need a talent boost. It doesn't have to be like go acquire a superstar, but you need another play. And maybe if Tim's healthy and he's in this rotation and he plays minutes, maybe that's the guy. But I think you were a little bit short on the talent across your rotation. Obviously, mm-hmm. they could roll out like 10 guys. We pretty much did seven in that series. You know what I mean? Seven or eight. I think you need one more guy that's like a playoff caliber, heavy minutes, not, you know, 40 minutes, but can contribute in a playoff series. I think that's the task this offseason. Yeah. So th- th- that's kind of the question I want to get to is this go hunt for stars versus build around Luca with role players. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you mentioned it earlier, this kind of super team model, mm-hmm. you know, if we, we've got Luca's extension is kicking in that that's a chunk of money right there. Yeah. Huge chunk. Uh, Brunson's going to take a, a nice chunk of money mm-hmm. in the twenties. So do you go get one more high caliber $30 million guy, which means the rest of your roster is going to be mm-hmm. minimums or close to it. Uh, and you know what the risk is there, that mm-hmm. if one of those guys gets hurt, then you're, you know, you right. get stuck sometimes. Or do you fill it out with people that you want to build around Luca uh, that play roles um, really well, but maybe upgrade it a bit from what you have? Well, your thoughts on that? Well, I think you're doing, I, I think the reality of what you have capable to build with is what mean, is, means you're going to do what you're suggesting, the latter point of what you're suggesting. Uh, there isn't cap room. There's going to be only a taxpayer mid-level exception because they're obviously going to be a tax team next year. There's the 26 pick in the draft, but that player is not going to typically come in and be a rotation player in year one. Maybe by year two, it's a possibility. So I think you're, you're sort of, uh, you know, your jumping off point of the offseason is build along the lines of what you're talking about. Keep Jalen, use the taxpayer mid-level on whatever you can, uh, you know, make a good solid sound draft pick. And then you're in a position where all of a sudden if the phone call comes in at the deadline next year uh, or next offseason, then you're able to, because go back to Nico's words himself the night that the trade was made with KP and Dinwiddie and Dinwiddie and Bertans. Yes, financial flexibility. It helped on the court this year, of course, but also it's all part about uh, all part of financial flexibility. So I think it's build the way you're suggesting, but be prepared if the the phone call comes and the right deal is put on the table, then to pull the trigger on an even bigger talent upgrade and possibly a star level guy. Yeah, I think it's you'd be forcing it to cash in your chips right now Mm -hmm. with assets you have. Yeah, do you want to start sending ones out yeah. And of course not. No, you do not want to do that. I think that's forcing it. I think there's some contracts, maybe the next off season, the one after that, in which you're like, yeah, you can have all my first round picks if you want them and these assets here. But right now, I think it's pretty simple. It's <laughs> acquire good players, um, elite role players. That's what you're looking for. And I probably start at a different flavor of big to work in the rotation because if as you mentioned, Kavon Looney can be that much of a difference maker in a series, mm-hmm. yeah. then you are, you're short-stacked at the, at the big, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you need somebody that can play in a series like that. And granted, we got away with it for two series, the first two of the playoffs, with the rotation we had, and it worked incredibly well getting Rudy Gobert off the court in situations, and then Aiton got cooled off pretty quickly, but I think that's more a defensive thing than anything. But I think you start there. You try and find an elite role player at the big, mm-hmm. and then you keep acquiring positive assets. Yeah, yeah. Not big money assets, 
necessarily guys that are on contracts that you're comfortable with. If you need to get off that first, let's talk. If you need to throw in some other guys, let's talk or expiring deals. But I think it's a little premature to go, oh, I need a second star right now. Yep. That's yeah. easy. I, yeah. I agree 100% with you guys. And my, even my conversations with people internally at the Mavs is I think that's the direction that they feel they need to go. They want to build around Luca and Brunson and put the right pieces around rather than go star hunting, mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, a, a quick, easy fix that if you, you know, make some mistakes can be really painful. Look yeah. at Philly and New Jersey, uh, Brooklyn is how mm -hmm. they've been handling some of that. So as I go into that, let, let's talk about the, the, the center position mm -hmm. or the, the rebounding hole. <laughs> rebounding position. Nico, Mark, everybody talked about it. They obviously know that that's job one is to shore that up. And, and you can't have that much of a rebounding deficit because to compensate for it, you had to limit your turnovers, which they do. You had to hit threes. You had to do everything else, point, you know, everything else that you needed to do in order to, to compensate for that. So what do you do? There's two schools of thought. Again, do you want to go get a star, a, a bigger name that, you know, is out there and we know what those names are or do you want to get a a solid guy that you can get for your mid level your taxpayer mid level which is 6.4 million dollars mm -hmm. um you know the mcgees of the world the biombos the the guy that can eat some minutes because i think what's important is this is still a wing league and if, if you take Embiid and Jokic out of the equation uh you can play centers off the floor in the playoffs that's just correct. the way this game is. Mm -hmm. So I don't personally want to go spend $30 million on a guy that can get played off. I want a guy that, like a loony, can hold his own, can, can switch on a player, play, but also has enough muscle in there to get rebounds. Mm -hmm. and, and I think you can find that, as you said, at the, at the role, uh, role player level. I don't know that I want one of my big chunks of cap going to, um, one, you know, trying to find a high-level center. Yeah, unless that player is an elite player, I think that the league, you know, I mean, listen to what the game is telling you. Listen to what the league is telling you in terms of your, uh, in terms of observations. And the observation obviously is, unless you're at the Embiid-Jokic level, that right now it's about uh, mobile defenders, good, solid rebounders, and then your skill on offense is either being really good around the basket, an effective role guy, or an effective just know where the open space is guy, kind of like what Looney is, because Looney's not really necessarily a role. He does roll some, right. but a He's lot of cutting his, and a lot of it is the space. cutting, finding the space, putbacks, things along those lines. Or you know the offensive skill is space the floor, so you can mm -hmm. play five out. Yeah, yep. that's that's what is being asked of bigs. You know, Adebayo obviously is a pretty elite level big guy as well. His but he's uh, not offensive the, game isn't refined at the state of. But he's not played Jokic. off the floor defensively, obviously. Yeah, exactly. That's the key. Look, yeah. look at the last four teams, right? Adebayo, uh, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, uh, Horford, uh, Draymond. Name Draymond me, Looney, yeah. Name me the the true traditional big big in those four, final four teams. They aren't right. there. Right. These are the new hybrid bigs. Yeah. That mm -hmm. you see out there. That's what they need to find. Grant Williams was, what, the 22nd pick in the first round? Mm -hmm. They need to find Something a guy like that. Like that. Yeah. And they could find that in this draft. I haven't yeah. delved into the draft yet. But, but you know, either in, through the draft or through their taxpayer mid-level, finding a guy. Or a trade. Mm -hmm. Or a trade that you can, that, that can play some, you know, 
Maybe Powell still starts. Maybe this new guy starts. Who? I don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. But just when you need to get rebounds and playing 20, 25 minutes a game, I'd rather do that than go trade for, you know, center A who's making $25 million and mm-hmm. get right off the floor. Yeah. Yeah, there's only, in my estimation, there's only like four or five bigs that make that huge of an impact on a night-to-night basis in the league, and thus there are only four or five bigs that are worth that kind of money. Are there even four or five? I mean, name name me after Jokic and Embiid. Cat. Okay. uh, Bam. I I consider Bam more the hybrid type, but sure. Yeah. Mm, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody obvious. I mean, Giannis, I consider a four just because they play Lopez so much at the five. Right, yeah. But there's only, so there's four. (laughs) <laughs> There's yeah. four yeah. that are affecting both ends of the court every night in a positive way. So there are only four, in my estimation, that are worth that super-duper max that they're going to get. And every time I see a big man, particularly a younger one, get a max deal, I'm, I'm saying to myself, that team's going to take an extra two or three years to get the pieces they want. Minnesota is obviously in their mess for a while. Cat got maxed out early. Sixers took a long time. Like Having a young big man that is... I guess, you know, top five-ish pick. It just takes so long. So those guys, I've, I've, I've been, it's so, it's a really confusing position. It's almost like running backs in the NFL where like a lot of the teams get away with playing like somebody you've never heard of. And they're so good in other spots That's that right. they can cheat it and they can get minutes out of Daniel Tice in That's Boston. Right. You know what I mean? And I think there are 20 of those dudes in the league. That's right. That are you can find big rebounders that play super hard. Maybe you don't want them out there for you know thirty plus minutes, but twenty minutes a night, and you know it's yeah, look what Grant Williams again. Yeah. I mean, look what he's done for them. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the inverse and of Horford Dwight. Too. Yeah, right. Yeah, Horford too. Yeah. It's the, it's the mirror of was Dwight. sitting there in Oklahoma City in purgatory. Everybody could have had him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It would have cost you a, you know a one or whatever. It and most of those had, dudes bought out. I can't remember, but either got maxed out or got contracts a couple of years ago, so they're more in like the fifteen range. The guys that are in that kind of kind of guys we're talking about, or they're super young guys that were taken in the first round and just never really got to start. In my head, I can name about twenty of them that I'm like, that would be that'd be cool, that'd be cool, that'd be cool. He'd fix the rebounding for minutes right. at a time, but you don't need you don't need a thirty million dollar big man. You need the mirror of Dwight. You need a guy that's the rebounding longer version can defend more positions of Dwight. And still give you something offensively. Yeah, not be a zero. As you said, if he can't roll, cut, something mm-hmm. like Looney, you know, mm-hmm. like that, space, like what yeah. Looney can do. And I think you mentioned Tim earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we underestimate the loss of Tim. You know, sure. um, he. Uh, You're kind of out of sight, out of mind when you had, when yeah. Yeah. has been gone four months now. Because when you look at what this team, the, the way they're built without Tim, they were basically victim and make or miss. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to be two feet in the paint get to the hole or find your open shooters. And when mm-hmm. the shots weren't falling, the Mavs lost mm-hmm. you know, in that Golden State series because their defense wasn't able to keep away with the quickness that you were talking about yeah. and those ability to, that Warriors had to run it without thinking. And so what do you do to combat that? You go get somebody and just get a bucket. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't have that. We have a superstar, we had two playmakers, and we had catch-and-shoot guys. Mm-hmm. That's it. And there was nothing in between that. There was no go-get-a-bucket guy. Yep. And Tim's a go-getter. He's a volume scorer, and he can drive in and get you a bucket. Pushes the pace. We literally have nobody and in so the playoffs that push the pace. You <laughs> missed that. And we've talked about this a lot, Mark, You know, just having that plan B guy mm-hmm. when you need it. You don't rely on that, but when the shot's not falling, 
seeing the ball go in. I think a loss of Tim really hurt that. So you'll get something back there. And you can also try to find that wing depth. We talked about, you talked about wing depth, wing mm -hmm. players. Yeah. Somebody like that that can come in, give Bullock and Finney Smith a break. Mm -hmm. Hardaway will obviously help with some of that. But one more like that, some length that can score and create his own shot. Um, I think that'll help a lot in terms of not being so dependent on this, you know, analytically based. Uh, my issue is it, you stretch what analytics can do. We talked about it. You know, analytics is great in the macro, not in the micro. So that over seasons, mm -hmm. yes, this is the smart thing to do. Just like Jimmy Butler at the end of the last game, right? Oh, I'm going to shoot the three. That's the analytically smart move. Mm -hmm. Wasn't the smart move at the time, in my opinion. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, if you shoot 43 is a game, it makes sense to shoot 43. If you shoot 25, you're like, why are you doing And if you're tired legs <laughs> in that moment with the shot clock running down when you have the ball, mm -hmm. go get you a bucket yeah. and keep playing. Mm -hmm. So what they need is... His highest level skill is obviously being a get-to-the-basket guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this team, the way it, it constructed, they max it out and said, listen, because we don't have the rebounding, we know we can hold the ball, and we've got to max out and play three versus two. But when the shot's not falling, we're going to lose the game. Mm -hmm. how do, again, how do you combat that? By having guys that can just go get you buckets. Tim's one, but they need to find, I think, priority two outside of the rebounding is, is a little bit more wing depth and playmaking. Yeah, somebody who if, uh, you know, you run out, you run. And, and, and Dodo can do this some. Uh, Bullock can do this some. But if they are catch-and-shoot guys. Yes, that is, their, that is their primary skill. Yeah, you want you know somebody who adds a little bit in terms of not just being able to catch and shoot on a three, but if there's a closeout, that they can put the ball on the floor and are capable. You know, they don't have to be great in that area, but be competent mm -hmm. in that area. You know, not just be solely dependent on catching and shooting to be involved in the offense. Have a little bit more uh, along those lines. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's... That sounds like Spencer, right? Like mm -hmm. having having another Spencer, another Tim, a mm -hmm. guy that, okay, the defense has already scrambled. I'm now in a one-on-one -on -one situation with a guy coming at me on a closeout. If he doesn't come out far enough, the shot's going up. If he is, I'm getting at the rim right, right now. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff like, I don't know, it, as good as we were offensively and as big a moments there were sometimes in like the Utah series of like challenging people at the rim offensively, I don't feel like we do that enough in this setting, right? Where Tim's not playing, who else is going to get at the rim consistently? And I feel like you can impose some kind of physical, just like fear and emotion mm -hmm. and, oh my God, they're knocking down their threes and they got guys that get at the rim. Like that feels like what Golden State was doing yeah, <laughs> pretty consistently. Exactly right. You know yes, what? That is. You just play, you can play it each side of the card. You can say, okay, well, if you're going to close too hard on Steph, like Wiggins has the ball, and now it's a one-on-one -on -one situation. Because that's all we – our offense is not super complicated, and maybe that get, needs to get more complicated next season because we're a little bit station-to-station -station with uh, Luca attacks, and he's kicking out a diagonal or a corner, and then it's kind of like wait and react there's type stuff. There's little off-ball movement. Yeah, yeah, there's not a lot going on there, but maybe there needs to be more. Maybe it needs to be more complicated because – when Golden State was doing that, it was like Wiggins would already be cutting, mm -hmm. and he'd get the ball, and obviously some of the dunks he had were insane. Yeah, he but did. He did have some like, insane dunks. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I like. I need. I need a cutter that doesn't need a dribble package to get going in an offensive set. You know what I mean? 
Like Luca needs like a good like rev up three seconds. Jalen needs a good four or five seconds where everyone's just standing there watching. Spencer even does it at times where it's just like everyone's kind of like, wait for the ball, wait for the ball, wait for the ball. I just need an elite. I need, really need a wing that can be an elite cutter because I feel like that is there in bunches at times. Like lanes are just open and just and Doe does it at times, but it's just that's not their role. Mm-hmm. Reggie and Doe are here. Yeah, waiting that, for it. That that right. Tim loss was really. You look at again superstar playmakers. We missed that hole there, and then you went to your catch and shoot guys, and you had your pal. Like you know, they they had kind of up here and down here, but mm-hmm. that hole yeah. just get you a bucket, guys, mm-hmm. and those skills that you know role players for Golden State were able to do. Again, eat some minutes. We're not asking you to be our star here. Right. But something that gets you buckets that in tight series make a difference. So mm-hmm. let's talk about Brunson a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked, and Mark said this on Valley Sports Thursday night with us, it was the first time he had said it, and when he broke his silence, his first time was with Mark Stein right, right there right. on Valley Post game, and he said, I want to bring Jalen back. Mm-hmm. We can offer him more money than anybody else. Now, Jalen's got to reciprocate, but... I think that, you know, if you, let's talk specifics. Uh, his max is $30.5 million, according to what the projections are now. Obviously, that'll change when the actual cap number comes out July 1st, but that's what it looks like. I don't think anybody expects him to get to that number, mm-hmm. but there are teams like Detroit that is expected to have up to $27, 28000000 million of space that could offer him something. The Knicks would like him. They, want, they could do a sign-and-trade if the Mavs, if, if he said, I want to go there, and the Mavs felt they don't want to lose him for anything. Mm-hmm. As Mark said on Bally, we can offer him more than anything else. What does that mean? Well, we can offer him five years as opposed to other teams offering him four years. We mm-hmm. can offer him 8% raises versus yeah. 5% yeah, raises. Yeah, don't forget that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, he's going to cost $20 plus million. Mm-hmm. That's the price of poker. Mm-hmm. Um, indications are, obviously, the Mavs have publicly said we want to keep him. I think he likes being here. If the money's there and he likes the role, unless he just says, I want my own team regardless of opportunity to win and I want to play a long game like Detroit, that's a whole other scenario. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, if, if they can make it work, that he would stay. It's really interesting what he had to say playing with Luca. He said, you know, you have to learn to play without rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I think that building around Luca, ironically, can be difficult because of that. Yeah. that you, you know, getting some players who are used to having the ball in their hands mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Spencer fits so well, I think, I yeah. think a lot better than people thought he was because people thought, well, without the ball, you know, mm-hmm. that was the issue in Washington with Beal. He's going to complain, but he fit in really well with him. And that's part of Jay Kidd integrating him correctly. And a part of those players, he and Brunson, learning to play with Luke. Luke is going to have the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go back to my turn, your turn, like Dennis Smith. And so that's part of building around him. And when I talk about not letting a Nash walk, like 2004, I think they recognize how well he fits with Luca. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I'm on board with doing what it takes to to keep him and build around that core of Luca and JB. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And I, you know, I don't want to get into the to the business of like psychoanalyzing people about things that I've never asked them about, nor would I ever ask. You know, it's like I'm gonna go, hey, Jalen, you want to stay here? You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm just not 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 the way to go about your business. But I do think that you can at least, you know be smart and read people and make observations about people. Um, and, you know, you brought up Dinwiddie, Brian. You know, at, at the end of the day, 
the vast majority of guys who step on the floor in this league do it because, of course, you want to make your money, but you want to win. You want to be relevant. You want to be part of a winning program. You don't want to be stuck in NBA uh, just irrelevance. Siberia. Yeah, NBA Siberia. You know, whatever whatever anybody wants to assume that I'm talking about or what that is. You don't want to be in that sort of place. You want to be relevant. You want to be part of a winner. So I think that's one reason why Dinwiddie fit in so well here, Brian, is that I think he made the adjustments he needed to make for his game so he could be part of a winning situation. Yeah, once you, you know? go, once you're in a bad one, yeah. you realize how bad it is. Like, it's one thing to say, okay, I'll get my bag over here with Team X, but then you're there and you're like, oh, well, I got my money, but it sucks. Yeah. When, you, when, you, when you've been through the suck, yeah, yeah. you're like, I don't really want to go through that again. Yeah, so how can I you know, help this group be at the be their best, maximize what their potential is. And so I think, you know, along the lines of Dinwiddie, for example, I think that's what he did. Along the lines of Jalen, uh, this is the main point I would make. And again, I'm not, you know, never talked to him about it. I, I don't want to get too off into the land of psychoanalyzing somebody, but I will say this. Uh, number one, I think we all know, you know, we've interacted with Rick over the years. We've heard Jalen, you know, talk about, you know, Rick and, and uh, Sandra is his mother. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So just didn't want to say the wrong name. Uh, it's very clear based on the things that we've observed and what we've heard Jalen talk about. He's got a very, very good head on his shoulders. He was, you know, came up in a, in a great stable family situation. Um, you know, and so he's a really good dude. Number two is he's been part of winning before. Uh, he knows how, what, what winning is all about and the rewards and the benefits of that. Villanova, two national championships. Mm -hmm. So that just kind of leads me, you know, where I'm going with this is I think in knowing what we know about him and, you know, his, what his DNA is that I think that being, you know, I mean, obviously you got to make your money too, you know, that is all part of it. But I do think that he values very, very highly being in a winning situation, not just the biggest cash grab. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we want Jalen back. Yeah. I yes. fully believe he wants to be here probably Correct. for the rest of his career. I think it would be a huge mistake to let him go. Yeah. Of course. No question. And I think he understands the path that they took whenever he got here. As a second-round pick, that team doesn't necessarily owe you anything. Mm-hmm. Not a thing. They don't owe you minutes. They don't owe you opportunity. And they let him play and let him progress and let him build his skill set to where that's not the same player. That was at Villanova. Like, honestly, like I've seen... Not the player, same player from 11 months ago. Exactly. Who's yeah. played off the floor in the playoffs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what he proved this season is I can start and I can be a plus-plus in a playoff series. Where last season, yeah, the Clippers are a little bit unique in how many 6'10 wings they can throw at you mm-hmm. like nonstop. But he, he wasn't a factor in that series. And he only had a couple games this playoff series in which I was like, man, where's... What's Jalen doing tonight? And it was because foul trouble. Uh, game one and two, I think, against Phoenix. And I think he even had yeah. a decent game in game two against Phoenix. But mm-hmm. Yeah, game one really hurt him. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That, was, that was the only time where any doubt of this guy is about to be a superstar, like, hit me in the face. But that's, that's my guy. That's the guy I'm closest to on the team. I know his family. I've been to his high school. Like, I've watched more playoff or more high school basketball of that guy than anybody. Watch more college basketball. Man. He, he wants to be here. <laughs> Who knew Mike is all up on Adley Stevenson High School yeah. in Lincolnshire, Illinois? Been there. Shout out Lincolnshire. <laughs> um, he wants to be here. He's a completely different player than he was 
six, 12 months ago, three years ago, and the development that he's gone through. I mean, he knows he watched his dad bounce around for an entire NBA career and go like, hey, no one really treated him that way. You know what I mean? No one let him hit his peak and define who he was as a player. And so he understands the time and investment we put into him. And I think he wants to do more of that. I think he wants four or five rest of his career here. Like that's the kind of guy he is. He's super smart, super talented. It was just a matter of time before his physical capabilities of that footwork game he has now, mm-hmm. which is just insane. Like, yeah, watching the, the him, subtlety of what he does, I think, is lost on most NBA. He, he's so like smart. Using his body in the misdirection and the faking. and He is so stinking smart, man, yeah. where he knows, like, I can make this shot, like, 80% of the time. I just need to get to the spot where I can make this shot. And I'm going to fool you into yes. so a little bit more Like, open. if it takes me, like, three moves to get to that shot where I know I can kn- knock this down, like, all the time, then I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And he figured it out. Yeah. This when we started starting this season, it was just a completely different player. It was a guy that's gonna you know go nuclear from mid range, and that's something that NBA defenses really don't have an answer for anymore. They're yeah. they've adjusted to what the he's automatic was from that that free throw yeah. line extended his spots and all of that. And he's so stinking good. And he's smart. And he's a great guy, and he's a leader in that locker room. Yes. And he's a sponge off J Kid, which I think yep. that J Kid relationship helped jumpstart a lot of yes. this. And he doesn't want to lose that either. Absolutely. And I think that he, he, those two, I mean, they are attached at the hip. Yes. You see it all the time. And I think that's a huge factor in this. We talked about the J.K. Luca relationship, but the J.K. Mm-hmm. Brunson relationship is really huge. Absolutely. And you saw whenever he had, you know, coming off last offseason, he came in hot this year, mm-hmm. improved his game. Anytime he had a bad game, game one against Utah, not a bad game, inefficient mm-hmm. game, what did he do? Superstar. 40 yep. plus the next game. Yep. Same thing here. Game one, Golden State. You knew, you just knew it wasn't going to happen again mm-hmm. because he put so much pressure on himself. And his, you know, he's so dry and <laughs> you know, he has such a great sense of humor. But I think sometimes we see that as just, uh, you know, people don't know how much he's respected in the room. As a young guy, mm-hmm. his voice carries and they listen to him. And I think there would be a huge hole um, losing that. Mark, do you have some, you're looking up. Yeah, some I'm stuff. looking something up here because I'm just curious because I wrote this down. So I was going to like, you I broke out his board. I did. I wrote this down before the playoffs started, but I just don't, I didn't write down who the other players were. But you, you guys were talking about how Jalen's kind of built his game up over the years. Mm-hmm. And as a player who's 6'1, you know, because of footwork and strength, he's able to finish inside. So his career field goal percentage. And this is not just dependent on, you know, being a good three-point shooter, but his overall career field goal percentage is 49.4%. And I wrote this down at the beginning of the playoffs, and I was just kind of like, I was curious who the other players were now. But of players who have made at least 1,000 field goals and are 6-1 and under, that's the fifth-best field goal percentage in the history of the league, 49.4%. That's, I'm guessing probably Stockton and maybe Mo Cheeks. That's up here. Yeah, maybe, you know, those are probably the guys. Uh, let's see here if I can find it. I don't know. Maybe it isn't that important. I just kind of went down one of those mental wormholes where I was curious myself. Yeah, and what uh, you what you brought up a minute ago about, or whichever one of y'all did, about being able to play next to Luca. Mm-hmm. Can you find another guy that's willing? Okay, you. Oh, say, here it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to no, interrupt. Go Mo Cheeks, John Stockton, Jerry Seesting, T.J. McConnell, and then Brunson. Those are the uh, only players with a uh, thousand or more made field goals. Those are the top five players, six one and under, mm-hmm. a thousand or more made field goals, and best field goal percentage. Mo Cheeks fifty two three, 
Stockton 51-5, Jerry Seasting, who was with the Celtics. Oh, on some yeah, of their he good, was. Yeah, so yeah, that's annoying. right. That's right, man, because he's the guy that Ralph Sampson got into a fight with in the 86 finals, right? an annoying right? player. Yeah, yeah, Jerry Seasting. <laughs> that's right, Mr. Houston over here. Sorry, uh, Jerry. Catching um, strays today. Seasting was, uh, well, I just lost. Uh, he shot 50.7, T.J. McConnell's 50.3. Uh, and Brunson was 49.4. Yeah, so those are your, your top five, six, one, and under field goal percentages in league history with at least 1,000 made field goals. So if, if you're sitting here and you're saying like, oh, I think we can upgrade on Jalen Brunson in some kind of way, can you find a guy that can play alongside Luka, score 20 a night in an efficient way? Penetrate. And Hit create... ball area, catch and shoot. Yeah. Penetrate, mid-range. Create his own offense. Still play the kind of defense in that system. Yeah, good team defense, to your point, Brian. Get into the paint consistently. Because Spencer is a little bit of like a chemistry experiment of a guy that can do that. There are nights when Spencer does not have an effect on the game. And yeah, he's only been here for you know a handful of months, but that's the same kind of trial. And he doesn't play alongside Luca a ton. You're not in the West Conference Finals without Jalen. Exactly. You can't find a guy that can do that. And particularly in this offense, and next fits to with Luka, yeah. yeah, a and, top yeah. three player, and he's a Jay Kid guy, and I think that's what's really important. And he's is a Luka that, guy, all yeah. part of the whole chemistry trust. That, and I learned this when I was in the front office with Nelly, and and uh, we all, yeah, GMs don't make decisions in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You get players that the coach wants for his system. Mm-hmm. Carlisle did that. He told Donnie, "Listen, these these are the kind of guys I want." Nelly would tell Donnie, hey, I want these kind of guys. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, I know I don't buy the groceries, but you know what I like <laughs> Can to Can I eat? give you a grocery <laughs> list? Yeah. <laughs> but here's <laughs> what, I, yeah, but I'm a vegetarian, so mm-hmm. don't give me a bunch of meat, right? Yep. And so Jay Kidd now has shown who Jay Kidd players are. Mm-hmm. And we learn that, and we learn what we still need to get, and that helps Nico inform what he's going to do. So let me give the lay of the land of this summer of what's available. Before you go any farther, real quick, okay. Brian, just a little, just a little, add a little bit more on the fitting in point. Uh, 17 point, 17 and a half points, four boards, five assists per game as a starter. And in the games that Luca didn't play when he started, he was average, you know, picking up the slack even more. He was a 21 point per game starter in those mm-hmm. particular games. So, you know, just, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So uh, in the draft, we do have the 26th pick. And that's it, right? And, and no second round that was given out in mm-hmm. the Porzingis trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, next year, next summer is our last conveyed pick to New York. Mm-hmm. So people think, oh, well, you can start trading 2025. No, because it's top 10 protected <laughs> for two years. Has to be conveyed first, right? Has to be conveyed first. So we cannot trade first round pick until 2027 or 2028. Now, once the draft starts, we can trade 2027 and 2029 mm-hmm. or 28 only. And but we have to make this pick, right? Technically, they'll wear a uh, Mavs you can, hat. You can trade it once the draft starts, yeah. Once it starts? or Bobby Mark said once it starts. I've always thought okay. it was it was kind of you pick for me, but maybe that's yeah. just semantics. Regardless. Yeah, you, I, think it's, I think it's that. It's yeah. you pick for me kind of thing. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right on that. So um, once the draft starts and you trade a pick... They don't, you know, you always make the pick and then they announce mm-hmm. it. That's right. how it always goes. Like Dirk's pick and like Luca's pick. Yeah, Luca like and Trey Young wearing right, Hawks yeah. and Mavs hats. Right. All, all because the <laughs> step in. You can't trade consecutive right. first round picks. You can protect the owners from themselves. First. Future first, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that was all because of the. Uh, trades that Ted Stepien, the Cavaliers owner, made many of them with the Mavs. Mm-hmm. That gave the Mavs of the '80s a whole bunch of first round picks. Right. 
So they've got the 26. They have 13 players between $2 million and $19.6 million that, that are in that kind of tradable asset range. They have the $6.4 million taxpayer mid-level, which is less than the, the non-taxpayer, which was around 10. So right. that's a new little level for the Mavs to hit. And they have that $10.9 million Josh Richardson trade exception, which expires on June 27th. So that, that is before free agency starts. If they want to suck in a guy that's making about $11 million, they can't combine two, it's one player, mm-hmm. they can they can make that work to add. Uh, on draft night, the, uh, for example, or yeah. around the draft. Around yeah. there. So that's kind of the, the assets for the summer. So it's not a lot, and we've talked about what they need to do. You have to get creative. You have, you know, they're going to use all that. In the next, but mm-hmm. the days of, oh, are we under the cap? We're an over-the-cap team. We're a taxpayer yep. team. We're going to be hard-capped. I mean, that's the new reality of this team mm-hmm. and how well, now you have you, to make this work. I'm sorry, but you're only hard capped if you bring a player back in a sign and trade, correct? That's the only you're that that would hard cap you at that apron over the tax level. As long as you don't bring a player back in a sign and trade, then you're not hard capped. And you you know, uh you might be uh in theory, theoretically hard capped in I mean. terms yeah. of like there's a level where we're gonna not go too far over yeah. the the tax number. But I don't think you're 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 three dollars every dollar. I don't think you're uh by your your yeah, codified that's to be right. hard That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah you're hard capped yeah. in terms of you don't have any other movement other than these, gotcha. these mechanisms gotcha. to make moves yeah. and then and signing minimums. You are like literally hard capped if you bring a player back in a sign and trade. That's you know, correct. there is a only uh, there's an apron over the luxury tax that you can't exceed. What is that? Like one I used to know it. Yeah. I don't keep up with my CBA stuff as much as I used something? to. I don't know. I, yeah. It doesn't really. Uh, yeah, I don't feel yeah. like it helps me. Uh, I don't think the it's going to be play by play. It's so gonna be. <laughs> my salary cap list number. My my. Well, you my, know they wanted to trade for him. They couldn't, but he was hard cap. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get into it as much as I used to. So let's talk about uh, Luca here in our final moments. Yeah. Hi, Bobby. Thanks for chiming in. Hi. Yeah. Um, killing it today. Luca said he's got a busy summer. Uh, I talked to him after game. Game four. Four. Right? Yeah. Uh, he is going to be. Uh, reporting to duty for practice June 15th with the Slovenian national team. He's got a couple of games with them for World Cup qualifying Mm -hmm. uh, late June, early July, then takes July off, then starts ramping back up with them in August to play September 1st uh, in Eurobasket in Cologne and in Berlin. And uh, uh, Dirk's actually getting his FIBA jersey retired during Eurobasket, so he'll be out there with uh, Luca. The old and Deutschland number 14. All that's right. right. I like it. Um, and yours truly will be uh, making sure that you okay. know, I'm honoring his presence with, with that. Uh, so I'll be reporting back here on Studio 41 with some exclusive reports. Reporting live. Can you stand up? They ask you to do stand up? No, they, they want to keep the crowds there. Um, <laughs> but uh, is there a concern that he's playing too much or is the reality that you know, we remember Dirk would basically work out 11 months a year. Is this his version of working out by playing? We know he's going to play with national team, but I have no issue with it. I'm glad that he does it. Um, is this just that version of him? Basically, this is in lieu of him just working out on his own. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'd selfishly want him here during the summers every once in a while, just because, like, you know. I think the reality, listen, Dirk left the day after. Yeah. Season went in and come back yeah. the day before camp. Literally the day before camp. We'd have uh, media day on a Monday, and Dirk would get in on Friday. And Jake yeah. had said he's going to go visit him. I think Luca will come back for periodic visits, as he's done mm-hmm. in the past for you know five-day stretches. But yeah, him being here for half the summer, 
that's just not yeah, not reality. Yeah, this yeah. is all part of whenever you have a a an international star and who uh, you know has a commitment to play and a desire to play for their country. Uh, as we know from Dirk's time here, and I, I've not heard Lucas specifically address this, but we knew for many many years that Dirk's goals in life, his two biggest basketball goals, were win an NBA championship with the Mavericks and qualify Germany for the Olympics, which they did, of course, in 2008, going to Beijing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, obviously, Lucas accomplished that part, Slovenia's first trip to the Olympics, and then got all the way to the Final Four and then lost in the semifinals to France and lost to Australia in the bronze medal game. So, you know, obviously he has these goals and these things that he wants to do that are very, very important to him. And that's great. I love it. You know, uh, international basketball, the competition, uh, I do think you grow from that, and I think there are great things to, uh, to, to, to add to your game by that experience. Yeah, I, I like it and that he's playing basketball, conditioning throughout the summer. Yeah. You know, I'm not uh, a big fan of the, the Luca weight watch that we do at the beginning of every season, but, I mean, it was pretty obvious the first month of this season that he wasn't fully in the right kind of shape, and I think he would tell you that at this point, that I needed to be in better shape coming into this season. So that's the end goal for me. I don't care what happens between... June 1 and, you know, October, um, just know that the regular season, every single game matters. You got that lesson this year mm -hmm. that every single game matters. The October and November games aren't less important than the March games. Mm -hmm. because guess what? You lost the home court to Golden State by a game. By one a game. game. Yeah, they a won game. 53, the Mavericks won 52. A game. And, you know, he dealt with one of, you know, his very – first serious injuries that made him miss meaningful games uh, with calf watch during Utah series, you know? So it's like, at some point, I think everybody wants him to do the Dirk thing, which is, you know, become a psychopath about his diet and conditioning. And Dirk did exercise. that at 26. Yeah. yeah. And so, Luke is 23. I think it's going to happen at some point. I think he's going to, you know, come back and just be like, whoa, okay. That's that's what super in shape Luca looks right. like, but also if this is the way that he has the most fun and it keeps him mentally fine and not burn out during the season, which is go play with my friends on the national team. And, you I know, think it gives him energy. I yeah, really I think do. so too. Yeah. I think so too. And I think he tr probably tries things and does things he can't do here, and it's there's weight to it, but it's not the same kind of weight. It's for the love of the game. It's for joy. And so not that playing with us isn't obviously is a really, really fun time mm -hmm. uh, playing NBA games, but it's just a it's a different style of the same thing. And you're sharpening that axe even more over the offseason. So I'm fine with that. I don't have an issue. There, I think there's personal growth. and I think there's basketball growth, both that come out of those experiences. I remember what he said after game four. He said, I'm, I'm 23. I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. And I liked him saying that because it shows he knows he's got room to grow. He knows what playing that other level of competition means for what he needs to do for his body, for his game. Uh, you know, and, and I think that when we look at what he's going to add to his game over the summer, I think the health is mm -hmm. what he's going to add to his game. I think he knows that, all right, I've got to get real about this so I'm not mm -hmm. getting into shape in the first two months. Yeah. Um, and so that, I think, will give him leaps and bounds over developing one more little move. I right. think that's what... Mm -hmm. And he's talked about, and he said in his post-game uh, interview after Game Five or in the exit interviews, one of the two is that you know health is the most important thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I th so I think he's coming to the realization of what it means to yep. to be at that peak level, and that if he had been there 
all along, not only are they higher up in the seedings, but he's probably more of an MVP candidate. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that, you know, uh, he obviously, if, I think if you, if you grow up in Europe and you play sports there, then there's just, you know, it's, it's different because, as we've talked about before, uh, not to, like, open this all can of worms, but one of the reasons I like the idea of the in-season tournament is because it replicates a lot of what competition is like in professional sports, particularly soccer and basketball in Europe, and that you're competing for multiple things. And that's just the reality of Luca's grown up in an environment where, with your Real Madrid, you're competing not only for your ACB, your Spanish League title, mm-hmm. but you're also, of course, competing in the EuroLeague. Uh, Real Madrid just went to the final of the EuroLeague, as a matter of fact, and mm-hmm. lost uh, to a team from Turkey. Uh, so that's just sort of uh, who he is and what his sports athletic competitive DNA is. And so, you know, that's just all kind of it's not just about one thing, which we kind of have that focus of here. It's about you're part of multiple competitions over the course of a season, over the course of a calendar year. And mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. Just create more game seven moments. Yeah. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. just or, you know, maybe not this season, but previous seasons, there'd be games where I'm like, oh, he's a little bored. So he starts taking some crazy shots and like challenging himself with mm-hmm. shots and like last second shots and uh, shot creation uh, type scenarios. But if there's an in-season tournament, if there's an off-season tournament, then there's just different levels of, okay, this isn't Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. Not yeah. Monday in Detroit in January where you're like, oh, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It creates more game seven moments where it's now or it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And we saw how they obviously responded in the game seven. They played this postseason, but I think that's anytime you can do that. Yeah. I think there's yeah, great that's pressure that's, moments. That's, that's actually a really good point that, you know, there is, that is something that the learning experience of being in Eurobasket or if they qualify for it, the FIBA world cup, which is next year, correct, Brian? FIBA world cup is 2023. Cause I believe the last one was 2019. So yep. the next FIBA world cup is 2023. Yeah. So when you play in a lim- in, uh, you know, single elimination, single game elimination, knockout stages and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, there is, that is, that's a very good point. I've never thought about it from that perspective before, but that can do nothing but help you whenever you do have to play a game seven in an mm-hmm. NBA playoff series where it does become winner take all. Yeah. So to wrap this up, I am uh, following, you've heard me say this over and over again, and it's, it's remember how you feel now. You know, we're doing this just a few days after the loss in the playoffs. I think what can happen is when you take too much time away, Mm-hmm. You go, oh, we can just run this back. There were mm-hmm. a few little tweaks here and there. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to guard against recency bias, but I'm always a fan of remember the pain you felt. Remember mm-hmm. where you fell short and what you needed to do so that you know where the holes are to go forward because I think there's a regular season style of play and there's a playoff style of play. Yep. And you can make some decisions if you take too much stepping back and go, you know what, we can get through the playoffs. Maybe we don't need that rebounding because we can get through mm-hmm. it and we'll figure it out or mm-hmm. what have you. Um, I think the team is looking at now, they're going through their autopsy and they're going, okay, you know, they're feeling like we do of here's where the holes are, here's where we need to make those moves because when we're in that position, we only have six players. Let, let's not get mm-hmm. stuck there again. Mm-hmm. And we can fool ourselves into thinking maybe that won't be the case later. Mm-hmm. And I really liked what Jake had said after game five, which was we're going to come in hot and ready to go. You know, it reminded me of, and I don't think it's a complete apples to apples, but after 2006, you know, this team came in and basically blitzkrieged mm-hmm. the other team by saying, we're going to go balls to the wall at 17-game win streaks, 14-game win streaks. We're going to come in from the beginning, from jump, and be ready to go. And I think because now they know their style of play, they know their identity, they know what, how to fit around Luca the right way, 
Uh, we're not force feeding some other fit because we think we need to. It's not a new culture, a new attitude. Um, you're going to see them coming in a lot more aggressive from the start. We won't see this clunky start. Mm-hmm. And it'll, I, I like that Jake Kidd's going to be sitting down with each player individually and going, here's what I expect of you, and be ready to go October 15th or October 1st when camp starts. I think that's a yeah, that's I uh, not too much to add to it other than yes, I think that's a great thing. Uh, you, in terms of y- your thought of and I've heard you say this before, so and I agree with you, so it's not like I need to repeat a lot of it, but yes, do your uh, your evaluations now. Don't like mm-hmm. just throw your hands up and say, I got to get away. You know, mm-hmm. do your evaluations now so it's all fresh in your mind and that way you don't like convince yourself otherwise if you come back three weeks from now and try to say, okay, this is what we need to do. You know, uh, the good thing is, too, you kind of have to do your evaluations now because when you play this deep into the playoffs, I mean, this is May the 31st. There's going to be a draft in three weeks and two days, I believe. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so you kind of have to do your evaluation now because you've got pre-draft workouts, and then once the draft gets here and those few days leading up to and few days afterward is a little time where there's a trade window, then there's the free agent, then free agency, the moratorium, and free agency negotiating period kicks off. So... Uh, you don't have time to kick it, to kick back at this point. You've got work to do because it's all going to be up on you here really, really quickly. So yeah. that's the, that, that is, it's kind of a benefit to playing this long is you can't afford yourself the luxury of, oh, I'm going to think about things for a little while. You know, yeah. it's, it's Work has to be done right here, right now. I think going into an offseason and just assuming a player is going to progress or add tricks or get better over the offseason is a trap that a lot of teams have fallen into over the years. But I do believe in collective groups staying together for a while and then yeah that's better. been a big follow-up talking point for a yeah. long time for them them being better because of it because of the continuity because spencer's here more than a couple months because i mean why the heck do you think to your point earlier that steph clay and Draymond can run plays together in their sleep yep that's you you get comfortable in your role and athletics is nothing but <laughs> repetition and doing it faster and doing it harder. That's and why the defense clicked. Yes, and and being mm-hmm. feeling no anxiety in doing it and no thought process while doing it. And we just saw the team that does it the best. I felt like we were playing about as well as they were when we went into that series. And the thing that worried me that I said in our preview and I said on the ticket was if they run their system for seven games as hard as they can and they play as well as they can, that's going to be a problem. That's They're going to win because they are more comfortable in running Steve Kerr's offense as hard as they can to exhaustion defensively and offensively. And it's because they've done it for so long. Right. It's, it's in your sleep. It's automatic. And we need to keep this core and add some elite role players to it that can hopefully come in and catch on pretty quick so that we – we do what we just saw. The lesson we just, the most recent lesson we learned, and I hate that it's the most recent one, but it's the one that defines our season. How do this we play a, as hard as Golden State? This is a good recent lesson. Yeah. There is, to your, both of you have used the term recency bias, and there is a trap that you can fall into that. But I feel like that the lessons learned from the Golden State series are not just snapshot window and time yeah. things. That it's all not a personnel sudden, one either. It's not like trying to read. Shuffle the chessboard to do this one thing. Just to play one team. Yeah, Yeah, they're not things that are only applicable for the here and now. They're always going to be applicable across eras and times of basketball Mm -hmm. is that the longer a group is together, the more comfortable they get with one another, the better they're ultimately going to be when it gets Mm -hmm. down to the really important games because of all of those things that you talked about. Yeah.
Bobby, you have anything uh, you want to throw in? Bobby, react <laughs> ten to minute, everything. Ten-minute podcast. We, Go ahead. React to everything that we said. Fired now. up. Yeah. Well, I kept a lot of notes. So <laughs> oh, you were wrong hour here. Hour two of the podcast. How uh, many games of chess did you get in? Well, I, I did like the chess reference at the end, Mike. No, no, um, no. I'm ready to see him hit the ground running. I think. I mean, I don't want to backtrack all the way to the first point, but I don't think this team needs a lot of upgrades. I just think they need bits and pieces here and there. More guys, more guys that can play. And, um, you know, I, the last thing you talked about was the start of next season, right? Like, come in here and don't start 16 and 18, maybe start, you know, 19 and 15 or 20 and 14. A healthy Luca will help, but also, you know, Luca started slow. Reggie Bullock started slow. Tim really got off to a slow start last year as well. And Dorian got off to a very slow start too. And KP obviously got off to a pretty slow start, especially from beyond the arc. And so, you know, individually, they were starting from a little bit behind, and so the team record uh, reflected that. So if all of the individuals step it up, then I think that we'll see, you know, the the collective just have a better record, and then all of a sudden you're not going to have to play 40 minutes a game in March to get a top And, and part of that slow start was new system, new staff, yep. new roles. Uh, this defense was, was complicated, and it took a lot of drilling and a lot of over and over and over and over again until they got it, and they did get it. And we saw the fruits of that from the beginning of the season to now what you're able to do. And then they would tailor 20% of that to their opponent, and mm -hmm. you would see that, especially in the playoffs, really lock in. Um, but when you're changing things on the fly, especially with a whole new regime and everything, that's why I think it was clunky to a large extent. And some of it's on the players, too. So final thoughts as well, we... So, and uh, some of it was health, too. Because remember, mm -hmm. they were 9-4 and four through 13 games. Then that's when the clunky hit. Mm -hmm. Luka got hurt against Denver. Mm -hmm. They won that game on November the 15th. And then they went on the road and played the, Clip, uh, the Suns twice and lost and the Clippers, and they hit a bad streak, and they came home and lost to Washington, lost to Cleveland, and, uh, you know, Morin, you know, Luka never got completely healthy, then COVID hit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you had, uh, I, I believe that you had from November the 15th until they kind of got going back the other direction, December 31st, they went 7-14 and 14 over a 21-game stretch. Mm -hmm. That 21 games is a quarter of your season. Yep. You cannot next year play a quarter of your season at a 333 <laughs> winning percentage. That's th that's the thing that you have to avoid is an extended stretch of downtime. You can lose, I mean, everybody's going to lose three out of four mm -hmm. at some point over an 82-game season. What it can't turn into is 7-14 and 14 in 21 games. And, yep. and, and some of that is what you guys are talking about, of course, and... Uh, you know, they, they benefited, I, I think, 9-4 and four in the first 13 games. They benefited from, well, they got a San Antonio team that was banged up and not at their best, and obviously San Antonio didn't make the playoffs, so they got a non-playoff team three times in their first 13 games. Houston was their home opener. Uh, there were a couple of other, uh, they got a, you know, Sacramento early in the season, and, you know, obviously, you know, we know, even though last year the Kings were like, the Mavericks kryptonite, mm -hmm. uh, but <laughs> at least they were able to beat them early in the season this year. So they, they, you know, they got a really favorable early season schedule, first couple of weeks of the season schedule, and then when it turned hard, that also coincided with Luca being hurt and then mm -hmm. COVID and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So by the way, that that will be really interesting to see Brian and Mike whenever uh, August tenth ish, when the schedule comes out, because you know just are they going to be like is the front first week of the year going to be loaded with like a lot of marquee matchups because Probably. Dallas is a conference finals team. That's right. Mm -hmm. They're going to play gold. There's going to be some national TV exposure. They're going to play Golden State or Phoenix on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be one of those it's either going to be a rematch of the conference finals or a rematch of the second round. Mavs will play Golden State or Phoenix on the on the on the 
on Christmas Day. So those, mm. yeah, that's uh, you know weird play-by-play guy brain. I'm <laughs> yeah. super I'm, excited. I'll, I'll about, gamble on Phoenix on that one. Yeah, yeah I'm super excited about what's going to happen on August 10th or whenever when the schedule comes out and see what that looks like. This is our last uh, pod for a bit. We've been doing after every game, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. We got a lot of great feedback. We'll take a little break. Give us a preview of what to expect content-wise on Studio 41 uh, as we approach the draft and free agency and all that. Yeah, like we usually do leading up to a draft, Bobby and I will just do uh, four or five pods where we grab five players, watch them, say what I like, say what I don't like, uh, not necessarily how they'd fit with the Mavs, just an overall scouting report of like what this guy's about. You've heard this name. Okay, what is Chet Holmgren? Oh, right. so you, uh, do you, get, start, do you guys look at top? We start at the top, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. We start at the top, and we'll do one through five. Dirk's new buddy. Yeah. Chet Holmgren. Yeah, I exactly. saw the pictures, yeah. And we'll kind of, we'll kind of like pick, we'll let each other pick. Like, if you're super interested in somebody, like, you can watch uh, who's the Auburn kid, Jabari. Jabari Smith. You, if you're super yeah. interested in Jabari, I'll let, you, I'll let Bobby have Jabari. And then we'll just kind of go through until we're through about, we usually get to about 40 players. All right, great. Uh, 30, 40 players. Sometimes we miss the guy at the Mavs draft and Isaiah Roby <laughs> because he wasn't in our top 30 or 40. But usually we, we're on the guy, and so we have some prior knowledge. There's some kind of scouting report built out for what this guy is like. Josh Green, I had him last year. Basically, all I mean, I don't want to say I was completely right, but his game is pretty easy to read, right? Like when you draft Josh Green, you're like, this is what kind of guy he is. This is where he could fit in. Um, is Christian Coloco on your list? Christian Coloco, I haven't even we haven't even, big guy from we haven't even spread up the list yet. I'm just like curious. honestly, um, as Fallowville suddenly tells you who he's interested in for the yeah, yeah, draft. Perfect. He perfect. just wanted to say a fun <laughs> name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do, we become instant experts on all these draft uh, draftable players pretty quickly. So we'll do four or five of those leading up to the draft, and then draft night we'll we'll live stream uh, up until our pick, and then we'll throw it to the the press conference. Um, of uh, you know Finley or Nico, whoever wants to talk about the the player we just got, maybe get the guy on the stream. We'll see. Um, and then obviously that's that. I mean that's three weeks away. Like that's yeah. that's right around. It's not corner. far away, man. No, it's not and at after all. After free agency, after the moratorium ends, we'll we'll mm-hmm. hop on depending yeah. on how things shook out mm-hmm. with the Mavs and do something. Maybe you and I'll come yeah, on. I'm then. up for a take that with you. You know, draft week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere perfect. A day before, two days before. Yeah, morning yeah we'll do one after the free agency period ends. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. But if there's any news that's going to put the Mavs on the front page, Jalen re-signing like, right. we did, like we did Tim last season. Yeah, Tim we'll do some emergency season, pods. Like, yeah. We've got some summer league content. So we'll jump on. It's not, it never ends here at Studio 41. Thanks, awesome. Bobby. Thanks, Machine. Followell, always great. Another awesome season with you. We're so happy to be here on Studio 41 presented by Chime. If you're on YouTube, uh, make sure you subscribe, hit notifications so that anytime all this new content comes, you're notified immediately. We're on all the uh, audio podcast platforms as well. And uh, follow on Twitter, Studio 41, because obviously you know when everything comes through the pipe there. Thanks Thank a lot y'all. for joining. We're doing a great yes. job this we season. Love it. This yeah. is fun. This is the first year, obviously, first like crash course of getting this whole thing up and running. So uh, well, a lot of great cut out of Dirk over there. It looks like he approves. Yeah, so, he loves yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Cat. Thanks, Chop. Thanks, Bobby, for keeping this thing moving every day. But uh, yeah, this is the initial maiden voyage of Studio 41 of, uh, of an NBA season. So very proud of what's been going on in here. Love it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon.